Hey, I know you're here for the podcast, but give me 30 seconds to talk about a new service we just released for anyone working in a CPG brand. Finding the perfect co-packer or supplier can be a real pain. You spend hours Googling options, texting your colleagues, asking around different Slack groups, and still you get nothing. That's why we created Fiddle Connect Consulting, a done-for-you service that does all of the hard work of finding your dream co-packer or supplier. Best of all, it's 100% guaranteed and you get three free months of Fiddle Inventory Operations software included. Interested? Just go to lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. That's lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. Now, on with the episode. Welcome to the Physical Product Movement, a podcast by Fiddle. We share stories of the world's most ambitious and exciting physical product brands to help you capitalize on the monumental change in how, why, and where consumers buy. I'm your host, Ken Ojuka. In this episode of the Physical Product Movement Podcast, I speak with Mia Medina, founder and CEO of Gather Brands, a full-service marketing management agency that focuses on women-owned and women-run companies in the CPG industry. Mia has tons of experience from launching her CPG brands to working in sales for some of the biggest and nationally distributed brands like Adwala. In this interview, she talks about common mistakes that she's seen brands make when they try to break into retail exciting and big trends brands are writing to success, and the importance of deeply understanding your customer and why they choose your product. She was a great guest, and I think you'll learn a lot from her. Enjoy. All right, Mia, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks so much. Yeah, where uh, where are you calling us from? Uh, today I'm in LA, but I'm actually based in San Diego. Okay. Have you been there long? Have you, did you no, go to in California? Or? Oh, yeah, I grew up in California. And I have been in San Diego for the past 15 years. Okay, awesome. Well, obviously, the weather there is amazing. And so I'm sure everybody listening is jealous. But you know, what's funny is I love California. And I actually really like Northern California. I'm kind of a tech guy. So, you know, the whole Silicon Valley area is, is uh, uh, nice yeah. Fun. Yeah. Um, but it's like every time I go, I, I'm so excited and then I hit traffic. And as soon yeah. as I get stuck in traffic, I'm like, I don't know if I could do this. You know? Yeah, it's definitely different. I grew up in Northern California and it was definitely a year. Yeah. It's hard to go back, but it's also so beautiful. There's so many spots there. So yeah, I actually feel the same way about New York. You know, we had family uh, back east and we'd go to New York and I'd be excited and then I get stuck in traffic and I'm like, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I just don't like traffic. Maybe that's the, the commonality. So <laughs> Totally. That's here too. We, we definitely have a lot of that in LA and San Diego. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, got it. So we, we generally like to kick off the podcast with, with just a quote or, um, you know, something that's meaningful or impactful to you. Is there one that, that comes to mind that you can share with the audience? Yeah, it's funny. I think um, something that I've always used with my kids, as well as it's translated into business, is choose your battles wisely. That's been one that I, I think I, I like to live by. And, and it's really like translates more into like, don't sweat the small stuff, right? Like, is, is it a big deal? Or is it a small deal? Is, is there an example of something like that? Or, or you know, where, where that's been really helpful to, to think in that way? 
Well, obviously with my kids, you know, it's always kind of <laughs> when they were younger, a lot younger, you know, when I could, I could have them sort of take a step back. And my son who's 20 now still says, you know, you've always told us choose our battles wisely. <laughs> and I think it would help, you know, where they were arguing, but I think in business, it's really, it just helps me sort of keep things in perspective, you know, whether it's losing a brand or a contract negotiation or something, it's like, is it really that big of a deal, you know? And so yeah. it helps me just sort of like level set. Um, yeah. And, and really keeping focused on the, you know, the other way you could say this is, you know, only focus or try to focus on the things that are most important. Yeah. Right. And generally there's, sure. you know, three or four, four balls that you can't drop, but right. everything else is okay. It's a nice exactly. to have, you know? Yeah. Well, tell us just a little bit about your background. How'd you end up in Southern California and running gather brands? How, how did that all happen? Yeah, no, I actually just started Gather um, in August of 2020. Um, so it's a really new company, but I have been in the natural products industry for over 20 years. And like I said, I grew up in Northern California. So I lived there, was there pretty much up until my adulthood. And I ended up getting a job with natural specialty sales prior to the natural channel. I was in the sports specialty industry. Mm -hmm. So I was mountain biking and doing things like that. But then I found a position with a girlfriend of mine was worked for a company called NS sales. It's a natural division of Acosta. And so it was kind of perfect timing. It was, I had the Eureka Arcata corridor and that was kind of my foray into all things, you know, retail where I learned all of my acronyms, your OIs, MCBs, you know, SRPs and things. And I had amazing co-ops. And so learning all of that with them was awesome because they were super, they were just stoked to see somebody because people didn't, you know, didn't really do that route often because it was so far out there, but I loved it. And so I worked there for about five years, worked my way up to manage the Southern California or the Northern California region and then moved to Southern California and couldn't stay on there. But when I got to, to San Diego, ended up finding a position with Odwalla. And so that was kind of amazing because it was the complete opposite of everything that I had been doing, where it was all UNFI and KE or at the time Mountain Peoples or whoever it was. Turn of sure. order and it was the retailer to the distributor. Then Odwalla, you get there and it's basically like every truck is its own little company with its own OPEX, you know, and so you're delivering product directly to the stores. It's one brand. So my account base really expanded there. And that was really, that was also an amazing experience because it was, I did everything from national to regional account, or regional to national accounts, as well as food service. So one of my accounts was Chipotle where I was managing like hundreds of thousands of gallons of lime juice, which nobody even knew that Odwalla was in Chipotle because that's I all they used. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like 39 Broadlanders with all this lime juice. So they used it in the rice. So that was a, an amazing experience. And that's where I met my husband. He had been there for quite some time as well. And he was kind of addicted to Diet Coke. So he, <laughs> like, yeah. like a lot of us. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. So he had a little bit of a problem and me being from NorCal and, and being like, oh my gosh, that aspartame is going to kill you, you know? So he decided, well, I'm going to try and make something natural that still solves all of those things, which is the carbonation, a little bit of sweetness and a little caffeine. So he kind of started putting this, you know, this soda together. And then I ended up being like, okay, I think this has legs. So I quit my job and jumped in and we decided because we were, we knew DSD that we were going to distribute it ourselves. So we were, we thought, well, let's get some products on the truck. We'll get a truck and get some products on there and generate some revenue for our first production run. So we did that. And 
about four and a half years later, we still had no soda company to speak of, but we had this really thriving DSD company called Green Shoots Distribution. And we ended up expanding into eight of the 11 Whole Foods regions. And they were kind of a, a primary, we were kind of their solution for a national DSD partner, which was cool because at the time you had, you know, all of these emerging brands that they couldn't work with these larger distributors. It was crippling to their system. So it was great. You know, it was a, obviously different times I could go and I would be fi- like working with their foragers and finding products at farmer's markets. And it was like, we would have powwows with our buyers. And at that time I could call my buyer in the Rockies and tell him, Hey, I'm going to be, you know, in, in Boulder next week. Do you want to hook up? And he's like, yeah, come on by, you know, it's very different, but, <laughs> but it was really great. And that was really where I got my sort of like that passion for these emerging brands came from. It was amazing. I think the excitement of pioneering a brand and getting authorizations and approvals for these smaller brands that are really excited to grow and scale. But it was also kind of like a Rubik's Cube because I was like a buyer and a seller. I had to make sure the products that I was bringing onto the trucks would be, you know, products that we could get into some of these regional accounts and then expand out from there. And then which ones were scalable for to go into to new regions and, and things like that. So it was really awesome. Um, and and was we, that through, you know, I, I'm seeing a couple of companies here. So was that through Wave Soda that, that initially morphed into this or was it? No, actually, that was, it was actually called Noontime. We had it. It was totally different. Okay. Uh-huh. okay. <laughs> I'll get there. <laughs> so no, so Lot, it never Lots of experience, right? That was the funny thing is that it just, the soda didn't ever happen because we got so busy with this distribution company. So mm. we grew quickly and, and had to take on some investors. And as I'm sure, you know, a lot of people, yourself included, probably know that not all investors are good partners. And so we yeah. had a couple that were not good partners. And so we cut ties from that and took some time off, had a baby. And then decided, you know, let's get the soda company going again. You know, my husband's like, let's just, let's do it. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. So we kind of revamped everything and um, reformulated and then launched Wave Soda. And so I said, okay, here's, you know, he's an operational guru. He's done sales. He's done pretty much everything. So I said, I'll go ahead and work on Unify, Kehi and all the, the local accounts. And then I'll go get the job with benefits and a paycheck, right? <laughs> we can't all live the startup dream. And so that's what I did. And so actually super serendipitously, I was put back into touch with my manager from NS sales from 17 years prior and Acosta had just bought Ignite. I ended up finding a position with Ignite. It was really cool because it was a sales consulting company, which I really enjoyed because rather than a broker, who's kind of more that liaison between a brand and a retailer, we were much more involved with our brands where we were more just like an extension of their sales team. And I really enjoyed that. And so I did that for about two years and then COVID hit. And so once, you know, that happened, but again, it's a massive corporation in Acosta. So it didn't actually affect me. And when it was really bad in March and April, it wasn't until July that my position was eliminated. So by that time, I had seen so much response from buyers and people were really, they were, you know, wanting to see better for you products. Premium products were on the rise. People have a global pandemic. So people are really taking care of themselves and wanting good things in their bodies. And so when that happened, it was kind of like the blessing in disguise because I thought, you know, right now the job market is going to be tough. I can go and spend some time, maybe a year trying to find a good fit, or I can, you know, get back to my roots and and really focus on some of these emerging brands. Um, But I think one of the things that I I kept sort of going back to is, you know, it's such a male dominated industry. And I think that women really create products out of purpose and passion. 
And so it, you know, there seems to be this, a lot of times what's missing is just how to get it on the shelf. And so I thought, you know what, I'm really just going to focus on female found brands and really trying to, to, you know, help them and scale and, you know, get them on the shelf and work with them on how to do that. And so that's really how Gather Brands was born. And we just work with female found products. And once we take a brand on, we basically are an extension of their sales team. There's that, you know, there's the buzzword going around right now, the fractional um, CEO or fractional VP of sales or things like that. Yep, yep. Um, that's that's how we come in. And we are, that's how we're a lot different than really a broker because we are so much more involved in their day-to-day business than just the retailer aspect of it. Okay. And, and what, what type of brands, you know, do you guys have a uh, particular specialty? Yeah, so obviously female found, and then we focus on the the natural and specialty channel. The brands that we work with and that are really the things that are important to us are obviously not all natural products, you know, organic, non-GMO, ideally, or working towards it, and definitely have some sustainability um, measures in place, and that's a focus for them. Um, because those are the things that are important to us as well. So that, you know, as long as they align with us there and then obviously innovation, it can be a long sales cycle. So we're always looking for products that are, you know, sort of filling that space, filling a need. Right. Okay. So I'd I'd love to dig into that a little bit. There's lots of, there's lots of areas actually that we could (laughs) could sort of double click on, but you know, areas where I think you, you kind of bring a unique perspective and obviously all, all your experience you know, I think would be really helpful with the audience, you know, so you talked about this trend that you saw during COVID, you know, and it, it's a trend, I, I think that's been going on for, for much longer, but I think, you know, like a lot of things, COVID kind of brought some of these things to the forefront, you know, with the better for you brands and, and products and, you know, just the consumer changing their buying habits in that respect. Could you maybe talk about that just a little bit and, and you know, help us sort of understand, you know, what that trend is and, and what exactly is going on and, and maybe how it affects their go-to-market. Well, I think, yeah, and that's kind of, it might be a little bit threefold, but I think just for the most part, the with the, the things that people are looking for are going to be, you know, is it whatever is better for you? Is it going to be an adaptogen? Obviously, those are really big right now. Things that mm-hmm. are going to make you feel better, right? And that are going to help your system, your immune system. Everybody, you know, COVID is a real thing. It's, it's really happening, right? So we want to do things and take care of our body in a way that, you know, maybe a little bit more attentive to it than we have been in the past. As far as the, the changing of the buying habits, it, that goes from, that actually is is how the brand can sort of react because unfortunately people aren't perusing aisles of the stores anymore. You know, you're not going, we've got Whole Foods, right? Where like people might not be just going in and walking around if they're even going into the store themselves. A lot of people mm-hmm. are doing this Instacart thing. So it's really important that the brands have a really strong online and digital presence when getting into these retailers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, one of the, there's a guy that, that an analyst, a tech analyst, actually, that I, that I listened to is a guy named Ben Thompson, you know, and he, he talks about sort of the, the big tech companies and some of the, the, the trends and the effects on society and the world. But he actually said something really interesting about COVID, which was that, you know, what he saw is that COVID, you know, didn't necessarily um, change or create new behavior. You know, what he's seen is most of the time, it's just accelerated trends that were already happening and just COVID just made them even more important. You know, so an example is this, you know, sort of Instacart, you know, delivered grocery thing, right. you know, it was going on well before COVID, 
but it's mm. like COVID was just sort of like a shot in the arm for that. And it just pushed it way forward, you know, maybe. No pun it. intended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 10, 15, 15 years, you know, it just accelerated right. it where the same thing goes so for many Zoom. people are doing that. Right. Say, like, say that again. Same thing goes for Zoom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you look at like, you know, people were kind of dabbling in some of these zoom meetings and and doing them but it's like once COVID hit it's like you know I might have six a day you know (laughs) yeah well and you know what you said about the direct-to-consumer you know how important that channel is for brands now whereas you know you could you could have set up a brand before and, and you can still do it today it's just a lot harder if if you don't have a you know a web presence and the ability for customers to buy directly from you and to interact directly with your company you know, yes, uh, you can still go through, you know, all the distributors, all that, but it, it really helps to have your own, you know, direct connection to the consumer. A hundred percent. I think that's what the brands are seeing too, where you can kind of, you know, you really get to know your consumer and you can launch, you know, random flavors or offerings or SKUs and, and see like, you know, what's going to stick before you go and present the, that to retail. The other piece that's nice about that that's been really cool is that you have an idea of where your consumers are. It used to be you had to build your brand in your backyard, so like where you were located. But now with the whole D2C business, it might be that, you know, you could be based in Southern California, but you've got a massive Florida, you know, consumer base. So then it's, well, does that make sense then to go and look at expanding retail there before going? Going to maybe, you know, Texas or working your way out, things like that. So there's a, a ton to learn from it as well, which has is, been amazing to see. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that we've seen from some of our customers is where they build a really strong uh, direct-to-consumer channel, you know, set up Amazon or selling, you know, very strongly on Amazon. And then they actually get approached, you know, by distributors and by buyers right. that, that want to bring in their product. Totally. You know, and, you know, if you just think about the the position that you're in, you know, in that respect where they're coming to you, you know, you just have a lot more leverage and negotiating power, you know, when it comes to that channel. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Is there an example of a, of a brand that you've worked with and, you know, maybe some of the lessons that, 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 that you learned from that engagement that you could share with us? It's funny. I always say, you know, you learn, learn a lot more about what not to do than what to do when you're doing, when you know, starting companies and things like that. But I think, yeah, I think one of the, you know, one of our brands was when we were working with Little Bucks, it was, you know, she was a very good example of having a market outside of her territory that was a really strong, you know, it was just a stronger market. And then her direct consumer business was so strong that it just gave us a ton of data to look at and to say, okay, you know, these are where the retailers are. So then when we could go to retailers and say, look, we already have a consumer base here. So this is, you know, this would make sense to open up, you know, this market and that kind of thing. So being able to share that with the retailers and show them, you know, we're not just saying because we're women owned or because we're a cool brand or, you know, it really helps in in that presentation to be able to share that they have an existing consumer base. Mm -hmm. And what was the name of the brand again? What do they do? Little Bucks. Okay. Little Bucks. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what, what's their product? They have a buckwheat. It's okay. They've got actually two different products. They have a buckwheat a that you would use as like a topping. So a sprouted buckwheat. And mm-hmm. then they also have the cluster bucks, which is a new line for her. And she's out of Chicago, but she's okay. been doing great. Yeah. I'm looking at the website now. just found it. Yes. Um, you know, there's so many of these, these niches and these brands that it's like, I, I would never have known that these guys exist. You know? Right. <laughs> I know it's, and that's, what's so fun. I will say is, you know, that sort of 
finding these brands and finding, you know, these really unique products and unique offerings because they are, you know, this is, you can see even, you know, Target, Costco, like all of these bigger retailers are also looking at this emerging brand space in a way that they haven't before. And so that's exciting. You know, it's exciting. We've got, you know, one of our brands is in Target. And so that's pretty rare that you kind of start in Target and then go into the rest of retail, right? So it's, we have a lot of learnings from that as well. And she's amazing. She's done a great job, but Caitlin with Pulp Chips and Pulp Pantry, and she's an upcycled um, an upcycle chip that's, she's just done an amazing job. So she did the target accelerator program. And, and so, you know, now we're working on getting into some of the, the retailers and the natural and specialty. So it's kind of interesting to do it the reverse way. But when you have retailers that like target and Costco that are starting to change how they're, you know, how they're looking for new brands, mm-hmm. it, it, it helps tell that story. Yeah. Do you, do you mind actually double clicking on that um, accelerator program that they have at target? Because you are starting to see more of these come up you know, pop up with different retailers. But yeah, could you just maybe tell us a little bit about that that accelerator? Well, they have actually quite a few. So there, 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 are, there are some different ones, but sometimes like it just depends on which one um, they actually have you know, a, a whole black owned where they're working with the BIPOC companies, they have a female found one they have. So they have a bunch of different accelerators that they're looking, that they work with and that they mm-hmm. work brands on. And then, yeah. So Caitlin was, she was one of their, um, she was actually one of the, like the first ones, a couple, maybe like two years ago. And it was where you were, it was kind of an intensive, you know, program where you worked with their buyers as well as their sourcing. And so it, it had a whole, di- whole different, you know, a myriad of things that she could take away from that. And then, and it wasn't even guaranteed to get placement, but she, you know, worked in such a way and she had a really unique product. So, you know, it got her placement into Target. Hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the reason I even bring that up is, is I, I think a lot of people just aren't even aware that, that these options are there, right? Yeah. Um, you know, between the, the the accelerators that the retailers, you know, really push, but there's just a lot of ex, uh, different accelerators that can help get a brand off the ground. Totally. So, you know, I, I, I think it'd be useful for the listener to, you know, maybe, maybe understand, you know, what you could do for a brand, right? Like, let's say that you launched, wow. you, you launched a new product, you know, in one of these sort of emerging brands in one of these interesting, you know, better for you categories and, yeah. Uh, there's a sustainability piece to it, you know, all of those things, woman owned, you know, so it's right in your sweet spot of somebody that you could help, you know, what are some of the, you know, the areas that you would start looking at initially and, and what could you actually help them with? Yeah. So we really, like I said, we work as basically an extension of their team. So let's, we'll look at what regions we have several regions. We can start, you know, in a couple of those, a lot of brands, obviously you're not ready to start nationally. So we would, you know, decide, okay, look at maybe some of their direct consumer information, see what regions make the most sense to start. And then at that point we would really, we manage the whole sales cycle. So everything from managing category review schedules, we actually fill the paperwork out as well for all of the retailer, whether it's new item forms, promotional forms, distributor forms, we do all of that because a it's, you know, it's very timely and that we're, you know, if we're really an extension of your team, 
we are, you know, that's on us to do. And then the other piece of it mm-hmm. is that it can also be very expensive. If, you know, if you do have an error on one of those, whether it's, you know, a distributor form, they say right there, they can charge you, you know, so it can be really expensive to mess up a UPC code and have it not identified until the product hits the shelf. You know, then you've, mm-hmm. you've gone through several ways. Um, several channels uh, that you're going to have to go back and fix. So we really, we kind of have, I usually say it's like one Bible that you complete for us. And once that's done, then we can, we have everything that we need to complete new items at the distributor level, at the retailer level. We work with them on promotional planning. We will, you know, work with them on expansion into new retailers and new, new regions. So really everything that falls under that, you know, retail sales aspect of it. Okay. And of course you bring, you know, your, your years um, in the industry and all your contacts along the way. And, you know, it sounds like you could recommend, you know, specific retailers for their product and, you know, what uh, you think would do well in, in different retailers. Is, is that part of it as well? Is that what you yeah. kind of mean by the, you know, the category review schedules, but, you know, you're kind of looking at them holistically. Okay. Where can these guys find distribution? You know, where should we place them? Yes. Well, really- that, right. Yeah, and it's really more region-based is what region makes most sense because chances are they're going to be, because we only work in the natural specialty channel, we're mm-hmm. not calling on conventional. So most of our brands wouldn't be ready for conventional. You know, there are a lot of crossovers, I will say, but a lot of, you know, having the key attributes that we do look for, you're going to want to succeed in natural specialty before trying to branch out into some of those larger conventional chains. But so, yeah, I mean, that's the figuring out which regions make the most sense and then just, you know, going after the accounts that we have within each region. So we have, you know, five regions. We have it broken down into a north, basically west, north and west, south. There's central, there's east, and then there is e-commerce as well. That's been a huge area that we have our vice president of sales, Summer Rodden. She's taken that and really expanded that out. So it's just, you know, wherever it makes sense for them to, to be expanding into and, and what retailers would be a good fit. Yeah. Could you maybe, you know, double click on the significance of the regions, you know, and what type of products would, you know, make sense in different regions? Yeah, it, it kind of goes back to, you know, not it's not always just going to be your backyard. So you might be based in Northern California, but if your direct consumer business is huge in the Northeast, it might make sense to expand out your retail footprint in the East as well as your Northern California, you know, home base, Mm -hmm. um, because you do have a consumer base there. And so, you know, obviously you also know that's a a region where, you know, people are really interested in your product. And that's, you know, again, a lot of times it's going to be Northeast and SoCal, you know, those are very obviously densely populated, but as well as, you know, I think really forward thinking with trends and emerging brands and that kind of thing as well. So we will work with them to identify which regions make the most sense. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious about, you know, different, you know, trends that you're seeing in sort of the better for you category. You know, are, are there some that you're kind of keeping an eye on certain class of products that, that you think will do well in the future? Are there any examples that come to mind? I mean, I, I think that as far as in the future, I don't, you know, I know not necessarily, I think I can see what's happening now. And there are certain, obviously, you know, this whole plant-based, you know, no matter what it is, I think that has just been amazing to watch and see like, wow, there's now plant-based salmon or there, you know, those kinds of things are just fascinating to me. I actually don't have any, we don't have any in our portfolio. And then uh, the upcycled, I think is amazing. I really am excited to, to see where that goes. 
and sort of how that can grow. That's been really exciting. And I, you know, we also enjoy working with products or companies that are working with adaptogens right now, because that's, you know, that's a really hot trend, but it's also really cool. Yeah. Important for help uh, through COVID and stuff. Um, right. Yeah, and you mean you can't tell the the future? You can't tell us what's going to be hot, you know? (laughs) I wish. I would just make it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, you know, let's maybe switch gears a little bit. I want to maybe talk about some of the mistakes that you see, you know, brands make and, you know, maybe uh, some advice on on how to avoid, you know, the the most common ones. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that, that we really preach and practice a lot is going, you know, a mile deep and an inch wide. I think oftentimes brands might think they want to be in 3000 doors or retailers or whatever they want to call it. And I think the most, you know, the biggest takeaway from that is really like you want to be in the right doors, right? You want to be, you want to have your good turns in the right stores for you and your, you know, where your consumers are shopping. It's not just about store count. And I think that's a very common mistake that I see where it's expanding too quickly, you know, too broadly and too quickly. Yeah. And let's finish that thought, you know, so brands that expand too quickly, you know, too broadly, you know, what, what are, what happens, you know, what are some of the negative effects of that? Yeah. I mean, when you expand into any retailer, there has to be support behind it. Right. So it's either a trade, there's obviously trade spend, there's going to be marketing push. There's going to be, so you have to have the resources to be able to support a launch into every, every retailer at this point. And, you know, this goes back to sort of those trends that we were talking about where people aren't perusing aisles and reading labels and looking for they're going in, they're getting what's on their list and then they're leaving if they're even shopping for themselves. Mm-hmm. So you need to have a really good digital marketing campaign and whether you're geo-targeting or, you know, so it's really hard to do that when you're going, you know, when you're spreading out too quickly. And if you can't support that, then how do you, how does your product get off the shelf? Right. So getting it on the shelf is that one piece. And then if your product doesn't move, you're going to get discontinued. And so, you know, if you don't have the resources behind it for a a national or multi-regional launch, then you're kind of, you're setting yourself, you know, you're not setting yourself up for success. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And we see that too. And then the the other side is, you know, which is kind of a a similar thing is just expanding, you know, too many product lines or too many SKUs, you know, in, in one go, if you don't have the resources to support that. Uh-huh. Okay. And anything else, any other, you know, pieces of advice, you know, maybe common mistakes that, that, that you see brands make? Yeah. I mean, I think it's really just knowing your consumer, really getting to know your consumer and being able to tell, you know, tell that story. I think a lot of times because brands are so innovative, there is a lot of consumer education that needs to happen. And so we have one product, it's called Good Milk. It's amazing, but it's a frozen plant-based beverage, right? It's just almond, hemp, and oat. And it, but it goes in the frozen category. So she's done a really good job of, you know, she's got a great marketing campaign and she's done a really great job of sort of getting that word out there. And we just launched in Gelson's. So now it's doing that push in and around where all of the Gelson's are and making sure that they, she, that her existing consumers or customers know that they can find it there and then sharing about her product and how it's different and all of the key attributes that it's fortified ingredients and all of those cool things and educating her consumers. So I think it's, you know, really making that effort to know your consumer and and educate, you know, if you've got a really innovative product. 
Yeah, well, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, I think that's some really good advice that people could apply immediately. Let's let's uh, start wrapping up here. I wanted to switch over to the quick fire round. I've got four questions for you. Just want to hear the first thing that comes to mind. You you ready? <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, maybe uh, you can tell us one tool or resource that has helped you the most in, in your current position. Oh my God, it's so crazy, but it's LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. How come? How do you use LinkedIn? Uh, well, it just is from networking. I think that I had 24 connections by August of last year. And yeah, sounds like me. I'm laughing because that sounds like me. It's so crazy. And then when I got laid off, I just started like researching and reaching out. And that was the other thing that I will say when I decided to make this, you know, to really focus on these female found brands. I felt as though I had been granted access to one of the most amazing clubs of like women entrepreneurs and female founders and, you know, just women building each other up. And it's just kind of amazing. So it was really inspiring. So I would spend, you know, hours just reading about people and learning about, you know, different products. And it's been a massive resource. That's awesome. What is a, a book that you could recommend to the audience? Oh, gosh. I, I mean, that's where it's really bad. I don't, I'm not a big reader, let me think. I mean, here's a funny one. My son, who's 20, mm-hmm. he, was, he was really active um, as a youngster and like a little excessively. And I read the book, Raising Your Spirited Child. Mm-hmm. And it's actually helped me. It helps me still till this day in things. So it, it talked about like, don't call them difficult, right? Call them spirited. Don't call them, you know, anxious, call them excited. And so it, it like taught me to rephrase and reword. And I still use that practice till this day where it's like, oh, instead of that guy's an asshole, maybe that guy's having a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. I'm sorry. I wish I had a more recent one, but I do. No, I, but... It's something I refer to like on the daily. So, <laughs> well, so let, let me rephrase that then. You know, you, you obviously have a lot of deep experience and, and knowledge. You know, where do you learn? You know, where do you go to learn? What resources do you tap for that? Yeah. I mean, I think obviously online, there's just, you know, I read about like I do the rabbit holes, you know, where I'll be yeah. like, oh, okay, whether it's an ingredient or a person or something that's happening, then I just, I can go and, and look it up and then I might spend hours and I might end up completely different in a completely different place than I started. Yeah. But yeah. I would say, yeah, the internet is really kind of that place for me. Yeah, I, I do that as well. A new term I keep hearing is the University of YouTube, you know, just, <laughs> <laughs> just learning and just watching that's so many. so things. funny. Yeah, my husband's a big YouTuber. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. not, not he like researches them. I mean, you know, watches them. He like if he can't mm-hmm. figure something out, he's like, oh, I'll check it out. I'll check it. So it's got to be on YouTube. And he's yeah, it's pretty good. I like that. But I yeah. usually try and I usually try for more credible sources, like you know, whether it's a <laughs> clinic or you know, <laughs> yeah. FDA on ingredients or something like that. I try not to YouTube too much about things that I'm really trying to learn about. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I mean. You know, I, I use it a lot for, from the technical angle, you know, and trying to learn, yeah. you know, new, new things that are happening in tech. And one of the things that I really like is actually all these conferences are now 
they're now, you know, on YouTube, they put them on YouTube. And so it's like, you can attend a whole conference, you know, without having to to leave, you know, without having to go anywhere. And and that's one of the ways that I keep up, you know, I've seen similar things happening in in different industries. This isn't just a tech thing. Totally. So, so yes, there, you, you need to be aware of the less credible sources out there, but I think you can find a lot of great stuff, you know, um, yeah. from very sort of leading and reputable sources on YouTube. So that's great. Yeah. Let's see a couple more. What is one piece of advice that you'd give your 21 year old self? <laughs> oh gosh. And it goes back to don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of big things happen in life and it's it's so yeah, it's so important to just, you know, let some of that stuff go. Don't hang on to things. Yeah. And then uh who is one person in your field of work? Um, or you know, another entrepreneur or or just somebody that you would like to take to lunch? Hmm. I mean, Kiara Daly is amazing from, I don't know if you know her. She, I was very fortunate enough to um, have a conversation with her. She's from Pepsi Frito-Lay. She does the natural stuff, but she's such a, a visionary for female found brands. And she just is, yeah. I mean, somebody like that to, to connect with is amazing. <laughs> somebody, you know, you can share sort of, who can, yeah, she's just when you see people who see things on such a greater level, you know, and it's like, I always feel like, Oh, you know, I want to make such a big impact or this can be so much bigger. or This would be really cool. And then you see people, you're like, wow, she's really making an impact and she's doing mm-hmm. things on such a, a bigger level. Kara Daly. That's her name. Kara. Kara. Okay. Well, yeah, Mia, this has been great. I think that you're making an impact and you're making a difference. And I appreciate you jumping on to share with us. You know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that are, you know, either thinking about launching a brand, they're in the middle of of creating their brand, or they're running one and kind of in the grind. You know, do you have any, you know, parting pieces of advice that you could leave them with? Yeah, don't wait. Don't put it off any further. Just do it. (laughs) Just get started. Okay. That's great. And that's a good note to end on. Hey, appreciate you being here. I think you've been a fabulous guest. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been so fun talking to you. I really appreciate it. (laughs) All right. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. The Physical Product Movement Podcast is brought to you by Fiddle. To find out more about Fiddle and how our industry-leading inventory ops platform is giving modern brands and manufacturers full visibility into their inventory and operations, visit fiddle.io. And then make sure to search for physical product movement in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Fiddle, Thanks for listening.